do the following guys have in common? James was beheaded, Philip crucified, Matthew slain by a sword, James the lesser was stoned to death, um, Matthias stoned, then beheaded, uh, Andrew crucified, left hanging on a cross for three days afterwards, Peter was crucified upside down, Paul beheaded by Nero in Rome, uh, Jude was crucified, Bartholomew was beaten to death with clubs, Thomas was speared to death, Simon the Zealot was crucified, died a prisoner, and John was exiled to Patmos. What do those guys have in common? Two things. One, who are they? They're apostles, right? The second is what? Oh, they are dead, yes. <laughs> How they died, most of them, uh, they all were persecuted, right? John's the only one that's believed to have died of old age, but even he was persecuted. He survived poisoning. I mean, he was exiled to Patmos. The others were martyred. Uh, it is believed. I mean, there are some details that aren't uh, for sure about some of these guys, but uh, for the most part, uh, we know that they were uh, most likely martyred and, and definitely persecuted um, for their faith. Um, followers of Christ, we know if we're going to follow Christ, there are going to be difficulties. I mean, Jesus cleared that up. There should be no misunderstanding about the fact that if you are going to be a follower of Christ, I mean, yes, there is great joy, there is great privilege, there is great honor, um, there's blessing that far outweighs any persecution or suffering that you will be called to endure, but... None of these guys escaped persecution. Jesus himself did not escape persecution. As a matter of fact, in the eighth beatitude, he says this. Jesus says in verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great, in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, some things about this beatitude. I mean, you've noticed right off the bat, this is the longest beatitude. We've gone through all of the beatitudes. This is the last. It is the longest. And it is the only beatitude that contains a command, which is to rejoice. We should rejoice. It's the only beatitude that provides an explanation. Why you should rejoice, what's going to happen, and why you should rejoice. And it is the only beatitude that is repeated by Jesus. He repeats himself in this, and the repetition should tell you something. It's also the only beatitude that is, a direct, uh, that is addressed directly to the reader. So his command and the explanation should tell us that this beatitude is important. The repetition and the fact that he goes from the third person to the second person, blessed are those to blessed are you, should force us to consider how it impacts us personally, individually. Because he is talking to each of us. If we are followers of Christ, he is speaking to you through this beatitude. Now, in this series, we've learned that the beatitudes describe the inner qualities or uh, the inner characteristics of a true disciple. They tell us what Jesus wants from us, and they answer the question, what does he want for us? What does he expect from me? 
It's described in the Beatitudes. What does he want for me? And one of the things that he wants, we know that he wants for us to be disciples of his, to be faithful disciples of Christ. But there are a couple of things that we need to understand if we are going to follow Christ, if we're going to be disciples. And one is that a disciple of Christ, uh, if you're going to be a disciple, the cost is great. The cost of discipleship is great. That's the first thing we need to understand. I mean, this whole beatitude is about the cost of discipleship, what's going to be required, what's going to happen to those who follow Christ. The apostles not only suffered persecution, they gave up everything to follow Christ. I mean, they left their families, their homes, they traveled all over. They lived wherever they could. They did suffer persecution for the sake of following Christ. The cost of discipleship is great, and that's the case and always has been. Whenever the gospel confronts culture, conflict ensues. And many times persecution results. Uh, When you confront people with the truth of the gospel, uh, it's going to cause issues. There are going to be questions. There are going to be those who disagree and some who disagree violently. Um, I, I just want to share with you some, some modern, and just in case you were thinking possibly that, you know, persecution went out with the New Testament, let, let me share with you just some modern day, just in the past year, Open Door USA did a study, I believe it was through October of 2019, and the previous, basically November through October of, of 2018, 2019, they did a study of persecution Uh, that's going on today. And here are some things that they found out. Just in a year's time, over 260 million Christians are living in places where they experience high level, not just mild, but high level of persecution. That's a 6% increase from the year before. 260 million people. 2,983 Christians were killed for their faith last year. That's an average of eight Christians per day were killed for their faith last year. 9,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked in that year's time. 9,488. 3,711 believers were detained without trial. They were arrested, sentenced, or in prison um, without a fair trial. They've, just because they were Christians, because they were spreading the gospel. There are four trends that they've identified that we see in, around the world, uh, four trends related to persecution. One is in the most populated countries, Christians live in a surveillance state. Countries like China, I mean, they've been living with this forever. They watch Christians, they, they monitor them to make sure they don't cause any problems for the government. Highly populated areas like China and India, they use facial recognition to track Christians, to see what they're doing, what they're up to. They want to make sure, again, they don't cause any problems. Whatever they do doesn't contradict what the government is trying to do. Uh, Also, another trend is violent Islamic extremism. It spiked in sub-Saharan Africa. You know, Africa has been, uh, I mean, the gospel has been spreading in Africa. Christianity has been growing rapidly for years and has roots, but um, now Islamic extremism has risen as well, and so Christians are being persecuted at a much higher rate. Uh, Terrorist groups in other nations, such as Central Central African Republic, Mali, Cameroon, Nigeria, they threaten government stability and they continue to carry out attacks on Christians. So that's one trend. Another trend is militant Islam spreading violence and fear in Southeast and South Asia. 
Uh, Africa's not, not alone in that. You know, the gospel of Christianity grows in Asia as well, but so does extremism, Islamic extremism. In Sri Lanka, 20, 250 people died and more than 500 were injured in attacks on churches and hotels on Easter Sunday, 2019. Just one day. 250 people died. More than 500 were injured and attacked just because they were worshiping, gathering to worship, and they were attacked where they worshiped because of that. The fourth trend, Christianity is on the verge of disappearing in Iraq and Syria. Um, extended conflicts, Iraq and Syria, before all that, they had 3.7 million Christians. Now it's somewhere around 946,000. Just persecution has, has wiped them out. Um, so it still goes on. I mean, it is all over the place. Um, there are people right now who are, who are meeting to worship and gathering in their areas, and they know there's a possibility they could, that they could be killed or their family could be killed because they are worshiping the Lord, yet they do it anyway. They worship anyway. They serve God anyway for the same reason that the apostles did, because they've counted the cost. And they understand that the reward of serving God is greater than the persecution that they face on earth. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, Remember this word I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. And in John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but take heart. Be courageous, he says, I've, I've conquered the world. So a faithful commitment to God cost Jesus his life. Why should we expect to be treated nice because we serve the Lord? I mean, Jesus said it very plain, very simply, we will have trouble, we will have suffering in this world, but he has overcome the world. Now, we need to be careful. Not all hardships are persecution. We can't label everything persecution. If you suffer because you're offensive, because you're crude, because you disrespect others, and you find yourself ostracized for that, well, you may have brought that on yourself. If you commit a, a crime and say it's in the name of Christ, and you get thrown in jail for that, that's not persecution. I mean, if someone uh, murders an abortionist, for example, well, abortion is wrong, but so is murder. Um, you can't commit a crime, do something in the name of, of Christ, and then when you suffer the consequences, claim, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, that's not what that's not what Jesus is talking about. But there are those, anytime you suffer because you are serving the Lord, because you are exalting his name, yes, that is persecution. I mean, there are those who do suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel. And he, he promises to bless us in the midst of that with his presence and with his power, but it is very real. The word righteous here means to be straight. And when your life is straight by God's standards, then you're righteous. That's what it's talking about. And so you get the picture, if you had a pile of crooked sticks and one was straight, that one would stick out, right? I mean, that one would, would look different from the rest of the pile. And that's the idea here is that we, as followers of Christ, we are straight in a crooked and perverse society. I mean, our society is crooked and perverse. It's bent over in sin. 
Uh, it is unrighteous. And so when we live for Christ, we live straight lives and we stick out. Other people are going to notice when you live for Jesus. It's unavoidable. They may not like it, but they will notice. People are going to take notice when we live straight lives in the midst of a, of a, of a crooked society. You know, several years ago, Pat Buchanan, Buchanan said this in Christianity Today. Um, he said, we live in an age where the ridicule of blacks is forbidden and anti-Semitism is punishable by political death, and rightly so, by the way. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But he makes another point that, w- that is, is, is true. He said, Christian bashing is a popular indoor sport. Films mocking Jesus are considered avant-garde. And it's true. I mean, you know, Christianity has been, been looked down upon for centuries since the apostles, since Jesus himself. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that, but it is very real. So that that leads to the question, if we know we're going to face some ridicule for being followers of Christ, then how do we respond? How should you and I respond to persecution? Well, we need to commit to living consistent Christian lives. I mean, the living this sort of life, remember, the Beatitudes describe the qualities of a disciple, Right? They tell us what Jesus wants from us, what he expects from us, uh, what we are to be. They describe the characteristics, his characteristics that we should take on as Christians. And living that type of life is going to get the attention of others, as we've said. I mean, if you're poor in spirit, you're mourning over sin. If you're meek in the face of injustice, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you're merciful, if you're pure in heart, if you're peacemaking, these characteristics, these are the characteristics of the follower of, followers of Jesus Christ. And again, people are going to take notice of that. But we are called to live, those, live out those characteristics consistently. We are called to live like Jesus. And the, the Beatitudes show us how to do that. So that's one way we respond. Even when we face persecution, we, just, we still live faithfully anyway. I mean, we don't let that keep us from being faithful. We don't let that stop us from doing what God's called us to do. So we live consistent Christian lives, and then we also defend what's right and oppose what's wrong. We have to be willing to speak up. When someone, for example says that the world came about by evolution, you lovingly show them Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When somebody tells you that Jesus was just a good teacher or perhaps a prophet, no, you point them to Scripture and you explain, no, he himself claimed to be the Son of God. He is God. He's not just a good man. When somebody promotes, I mentioned abortion, when they promote that, you promote life. When someone teaches same-sex unions, redefines marriage with love, you point them to Scripture and God's design for marriage. When somebody tries to argue that there are many ways to heaven, you say no. You point them lovingly to the Scripture where Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. We're not Starting fights, we're not trying to be confrontational, but we have to be willing to stand by the truth. We can't compromise just because we feel pressure from the world. And sometimes it's hard to do that. Sometimes it's hard to speak the truth. We can do it in love, but you're still going to offend people. 
There's no way around it. Whenever you live straight in a crooked world, people are going to take notice, and some people will not be happy about it. If we don't speak up, though, who will? If we don't stand for the truth, if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves representatives, ambassadors for Christ, and we refuse to speak up, how can we expect someone else to? That's what we've been called to do. And regardless of what happens, regardless of the ridicule, we've got to be willing to take a stand for Christ. We must be willing to stand up for the Lord and against sin, but we must remember to respond to opposition in a godly fashion. We, I mean, we, we stand for what's right, but we do it with the love of Christ. And, and we do it, our goal is not to ostracize, it's not to alienate, it is to see them redeemed. It's to see them come to Christ. And, of course, Jesus tells us in this that we are to rejoice. Even when we're persecuted, we are to rejoice. Now, you can almost hear everybody he's teaching, you can almost see them looking at each other going, okay, you just told me I'm going to get persecuted. Now you want me to rejoice about it? You can almost see the discussion, hear the discussion going on. Did I hear him right? Did he just say we're supposed to rejoice about this but that's exactly what he says we're to rejoice in the face of persecution why should we rejoice well because even though the cost of discipleship is great the reward for discipleship is greater that's number two the cost is great there is persecution there is pain and suffering i I mentioned i've read you statistics all over the world Right now, people are suffering for the sake of the gospel. You may be ostracized. You may be made fun of. You may be ridiculed for your belief. You may be called closed-minded. I mean, all sorts of things. But Christ promises a reward, and that reward is heaven. We have a great reward in heaven. And even if this life is just totally unbearable, I mean, that's why you read these stories of the martyrs who who proclaimed the gospel to the very end, who did it with joy and with endurance, um, the power of Christ in and through them, but also the reward of Christ in their life and the reward of where they were going, the reward of heaven. Verse 12, look at verse 12 again. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They persecuted the prophets before you, Jesus is saying. They are going to persecute you. But rejoice, because your reward in heaven is great. Persecution and and opposition have a silver lining. One thing it does for us is it gives us a proper perspective. It gives us an eternal perspective. When life in the present is unpleasant then we look toward eternity and know what Scripture teaches, that there is no suffering, that eternity in heaven is perfect. There's no pain, no suffering, no sickness, no persecution, none of that, no death. And so when life is tough, it's a little easier for us to look toward the future with anticipation, isn't it? And the older you get, the longer you live, the easier it is to look toward the future. And if we can live with that eternal perspective investing in eternity, looking toward eternity, it makes it a little easier to handle discomfort in the present. 
makes it a little bit easier to handle trials and tribulations because we know that this is not God's final plan for us. Regardless of how bad life gets, we know that, that God has something greater for us, that we have an eternity with him. And so we can endure things a little easier in the, in the, pleasant, in the present. And, and there is that, there is that eternal perspective, which is so vitally important. But one of the reasons is, it's important is because as bad as persecution is, the reason it's important to be faithful is because as bad as persecution is, unfaithfulness is far worse. So we've got to maintain that eternal perspective. We've got to always be looking toward the future, thinking about eternity, thinking about investing. And so we endure, we, we, we focus on Christ, we pray for ourselves, we pray for those who are persecuting us. We continue to focus on the Lord and Scripture, and we continue to, to walk with Him and to fellowship with Him and commune with Him. And the promise is, yes, heaven, but then also the blessing of God. He blesses us. And the blessing of God then produces joy. So let me explain how this works. I am living a righteous life. God saves me, sets me free from sin. I begin to live a righteous life. Other people take notice. Some people don't like it. So they make fun of me. Or they persecute me. And so I endure. I focus on Christ. I maintain my eternal perspective. I continue to obey Scripture. And what does God do? He blesses me. And what happens when God blesses me? It brings me joy. Regardless of what I'm going through, it brings me joy. I have joy. And that joy motivates me to live even more righteous. And so I live righteous. I grow in my righteousness, which in turn makes people notice, makes some people unhappy. They persecute me. I continue in faithfulness. God blesses me. It brings me joy. I want to live righteous. It's a cycle. It's continuous. But God promises, yes, you'll receive persecution, but I will top that with my blessing. Not that life will be peachy and easy and pain-free, but that I'll have the blessing of faithfulness. I'll have the blessing of the presence of God in my life. I'll have the blessing of knowing that I'm doing exactly what he put me here to do and what he wants me to do. The blessing of well done, good and faithful servant. The blessing of his power and strength. Faithfulness produces righteousness the world persecutes, but God blesses me, and it brings me joy. Joy that transcends any unpleasant circumstance. And all of those continue to happen. And it goes on and on and on. As long as I live for Christ, I will receive some form of ridicule, but God will bless as long as I stay faithful. And that's not all, though. So we have the blessing of heaven. We have the blessing of the presence of God, the power of God, the joy of Jesus, we also join company with great men and women of faith. And that's, you know, verse 12, again, says, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now think about this. Who is he talking about here? And just take a stroll through Scripture of all of those who served the Lord and were persecuted for it. I mean, if you think about it, was anybody really excluded from some form of that. I mean, just to name a few, Abel, beginning with Abel, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Peter, Paul, John, the rest of the apostles, the list goes on, right? So what Jesus is saying is, you join company with all of those guys and some gals I left out. I mean, that's a pretty good group to be associated with. Wouldn't you agree? 
if I'm willing to serve the Lord and to endure persecution, that I join company with all of those individuals who we look to as great men and women of faith, who we look to and say, wow, how did they do what they did for the Lord? Well, they just made themselves available and were completely sold out in service of God. They served the Lord faithfully, and he did incredible things in and through them, and they suffered incredibly because of it. Yet, they received joy, and they received the blessing of eternity. True believers have never been popular with the people of the world, ever, throughout history, have never been popular. On the wall of a children's home in Calcutta, run by Mother Teresa's order, you can read these words. It says, people are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spent years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have and you will get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. That's the way it is with Christianity, right? When you give yourself in service of the Lord, don't expect great fame and notoriety on earth. Don't expect an attaboy. You may get it, but you probably won't. What you'll probably get is some form of ridicule. When we live straight in a crooked society, people take notice, and many don't like it. Jesus says, in this world you will have trials. You will be persecuted, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Part of the reasons for Christians' lack of popularity is the nature of God's kingdom on earth. It's not built on me. It's not built on success. It's not built on promoting myself or anybody else on this earth. It's built on promoting Jesus front and center. It's reverse. The greatest is least. The least is the greatest. And that just just flies in the face of culture. The get ahead mentality, you know, whatever it takes to succeed mentality of our day, which has been the case for a long time. Men have built kingdoms on themselves, on power, on control, on cruelty, on greed, as long as sin has existed. And so the kingdom of Christ flies in the face of that. But we have to realize that being despised and rejected by men is a natural condition of those who follow Christ because the kingdom of of God is so different than the kingdom of man And if we're going to be committed to that, to following Christ, to being faithful to that, we've got to understand that being despised and rejected comes with the territory. It's as much a part of being a Christian as being poor in spirit or mourning over sin or hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I mean, this is right in there. It's not like this is one of the Beatitudes that just happens occasionally. No, this is part of being a disciple, being persecuted for the sake of Christ suffering ridicule for the sake of his name. What happened to the prophets happened to Jesus. And what happened to Jesus will happen to us. What happens to me will happen to my kids and my grandkids. Any follower of Christ, on and on and on, anybody, 
that is dedicated to serving the Lord faithfully is going to have to deal with this in some form. I'm so thankful that we still live in a country where we can do what we're doing today without fear of somebody busting in and taking us to jail. We've got a police officer outside right now protecting us, not the other way around. He's not coming in here to take us all to the pokey because we're worshiping, and I'm thankful for that. Aren't you? But more and more, we see changes in society. And even if you don't get thrown in jail, there's going to come a time in your life. If you're a student, you need to listen to this. If you're a child, you need to listen to this. If you're an adult, you do too. But there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to have to take a stand for Jesus, and it is not going to be the popular thing to do. And let's face it, and I'm not minimizing physical torture or pain, but emotional pain can be just as bad, can it? And you could be ridiculed for taking a stand for Christ. Emotionally tortured. It could happen. It happens every day. And you have to ask the question, will I stand for Jesus anyway? Will I stand up with those other men and women of faith that endured Jesus says, if you do, I will bless you with my presence. You don't have to do it by yourself. He will stand with you, living in and through you. But what happened to them will happen to us. But we should welcome persecution, not only because of the blessing and because it puts us in good company, but it's under these conditions, hear me, it's under these conditions that the church thrives. When God's church is persecuted, it thrives. It's no mistake that Christianity is growing rapidly in Asia, one of the hardest places in the world to be a Christian. I mean, Christianity thrives under those because it forces people who truly believe to take a stand. Cultural Christianity really isn't a thing in some of these areas because culture is so contrary to that. And I'm going to tell you, you look at statistics and you see that, that, that our country is becoming less and less of a Christian nation. No, what's happened is, is that cultural Christianity, people are just being honest now about the fact that they don't believe. They're not pretending anymore. And while that's sad on one hand, it's good on another because we realize who true believers are. And those of us who count the cost and choose to follow Christ, if we will allow him to, God will take us and make this church, not just this church, but his church, into a force in this country that can change the world for Jesus Christ. But we have to choose. We have to take a stand. We have to be willing to be obedient, even if the world persecutes us. An early church father, Tertullian, said this. The Romans were trying to stamp out Christianity And he noticed that every time the the Christian church was persecuted, it grew faster. And here's what he said. He said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. That's true. Whenever Christianity, whenever tyrants have tried to destroy Christianity, God has used the blood of those Christians as a seed to grow his church. Persecution fuels the gospel. True Christians are empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier that while Christianity has always uh, has grown in Africa and it has deep roots there, there's, there's great persecution. There's a story about a lady named Gladys Juma. Her, her husband was murdered because he was sharing the gospel. She talked about the story detailed a heartbreaking night. Her husband and a pastor went out to share the gospel and they went missing. And they looked for them for days. They couldn't find them. They, did, they didn't know what happened. Well, after... 
a certain amount of time, she was called to a local hospital, and this is a little graphic, forgive me, but it's the reality of the world that we live in. She was called to a hospital, and there at the hospital, there was a garbage bag full of, of body parts, burned, charred, and some skulls that were set off to the side that had been burned and separated from their bodies. Well, they didn't know. They didn't have a way to identify, but turns out, sure enough, those bodies were her husband and the pastor. And she talked about how hard it was, as you can imagine. And here's what she said. Juma said in Mombasa, we had religious tolerance for so many years, and then suddenly it turned with no warning. You know, we, I believe, have been seeing a turn for years in our country, but it can happen just like that. Before you know it, this freedom could be taken away. She said it turned without warning. That's the cost of discipleship for some people in the world right now. They have to literally make a decision. Am I going to give my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I willing to give it all? Not only my my life, but my family. Will I sacrifice it all for the sake of the gospel? Jesus said... Beware when, all, when men speak well of you. So it makes me ask, do I have anybody that, that is angry at me for the sake of the gospel? Have I caused any controversy in my life? I mean, what have I done in the last month that's caused anybody to challenge my faith? What have I done that's caused anyone to question me about what I believe? When have I risked speaking out in the favor of righteousness? How have I defended the cause of Christ and the purity of the gospel in my life? Would people even choose to ridicule me because of my beliefs? Because they're so evident in what I do and how I speak and how I live. The late George F. McLeod said this. He said, the greatest criticism of the church today, and this was years ago, He said the greatest criticism of the church today is that no one wants to persecute it because there's nothing very much to persecute it about. Am I just going through life, trying not to make waves, trying not to offend anybody, just going along and getting along? Is that my motivation, trying not to make waves or stir up trouble? I mean, we're not trying to start fights. We're not being confrontational, but Jesus is very clear. If I live for him, people are not going to like it, and I will be challenged. And I will be tried and maybe even persecuted. Am I willing to do what God's called me to do, even if it hurts, even if it costs me something? Our true identity in Christ is not defined by what transpires here on earth. And it's not limited to what we see here and now. Just passing through, if that's all I'm doing, if I'm just you know, trying to get by, trying to not to make waves, I will never discover my true identity in Christ. We, the here and now is not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about eternity. It's about my eternity, spending eternity with Christ. It's about me caring about where you spend eternity, whether or not you get to spend eternity with Christ. And it's about me being so committed to to, to Jesus Christ and to fulfilling his plan and purpose that I'm willing to give everything so that you can come to know Christ, even if it costs me everything. And this is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, and then I'm also going to read verses 20 and 21, but everything 
that was gained to me, he says, I've considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him, he says, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. But our citizenship, in verse 20, he says, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will transform the body. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. That's what our life is about. It's about eternity. Do we align with Paul? I consider everything here loss compared to knowing Christ. The power of his resurrection. The identity that I get with him through suffering. Growing closer to him through trials and tribulations. We have to endure. I brought a letter with me today. And you know, I want to draw your attention to the stamp. right? The stamp on the letter. Everybody can you can kind of see that, right? We don't use letters much anymore. So you may not remember what this looks like. But this is a stamp. And the stamp can show us how to endure. Simple stamp can show us how to endure this is a letter, um, I don't even remember what it is, but I, it's from Westbrook, Maine, that was sent to me. And it, so it, it left Westbrook, Maine. And you think about it, when you mail a letter, you put a stamp on it, you stick it in the mailbox, and then you probably don't think about it, do you? But think about what all this letter goes through, all right? Put the stamp on your letter, you stick it in the mailbox, and then what happens? Mailman comes, he picks it up, and then he'll take it to the post office, take it to a processing facility. And this, this little letter with the stamp on it in that processing facility will go into this huge machine. And that machine has all these little fingers and rubber bands and, and all these things to where it sorts and, and, it, and it determines where in the country, where in the world, this letter is supposed to go. So it sorts it out by size, by shape, by direction, and then it'll come out of that machine, and then another stamp will be put on it. And if you can see, you can see there's another stamp on top of this. It's a, an ink stamp, like a, you know, that kind of stamp. And so that's the postal. That's, that's, that's the instructions, right? That, that, it's, it's been sorted. It's ready to go, all right? So it goes through the processing plant. And then it will probably be put, depending on where it goes, it'll be put on like a plane or a bus or a huge truck, and it'll be sent to whatever region, whatever area that it's supposed to go to. So it flies, it travels on the road to that area, and then it will go to another post office, another sorting facility. And then what you'll see at some point along the way, when it's determined where it goes, there's another code that's put on the bottom. And again, that just, it's, it's been sorted, it's going to its destination, whatever region, whatever it is, the postal code, it, it shows you where it's supposed to go. It's all part of the processing. So it's been through a machine, it's been stamped once when you put it on, it's been stamped again, it's been sorted, it's been twisted and turned and put in a, a, a bucket, put in a box, put in a bag, whatever, put on a truck or a plane, it's sent to a local area, then it's sorted again, and then it's scanned to determine the zip code of that area that it goes to. Now mind you, it's still not at your local post office yet, all right? And if you'll look on this one, 
This one has a little yellow sticker because this was after we moved here. So this letter came from Maine, over 1,200 miles, went to Scottsboro, because that's where we lived, I'm guessing. And then because our address had changed, it was rerouted here, and it made it all the way here. But, you know, we've been sorted. We've scanned the zip code, and it's still not at your post office yet. Once it's determined what zip code it goes to, then it's on another vehicle, and then it gets sent to your post office. It gets sorted to your specific area. Then your mailman or mail lady gets it and puts it in her bag or his bag or his box, puts it in a cart or on his little mail truck, and then he takes it to your house. Now, the thing that amazes me about this is this letter's been through all that. It was sent, rerouted, 1,200 miles, and the stamp is still on there. It's amazing, right? I mean, it's, it endured all of that. The stamp is still on there. It arrived at its destination. It endured. It stuck to it, to its destination. And that was almost two years ago. I, I found it in a drawer. So it's, it stayed on there. You and I need to be like this stamp. We need to stick to it until we reach our destination. Our destination is heaven. And we need to stay faithful until we reach our destination. But how do we do that? Well, Revelation 14 explains how we do that. Revelation 14, and this isn't on the screen. This says this, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. How do we do that? Well, thankfully, the verse tells us by obeying Jesus' commands and maintaining our faith in Christ. How do you endure persecution? You obey God's word and you maintain faith. You can't have endurance without the power of faith. You can't have it. You will not have it. So step number one is this. Step number one, if you want to endure, you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's step number one. You've got to be saved. You have to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you don't here today, watching at home, you have an open invitation from Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Savior of the universe, the creator of you and me and everything that we see, the universe. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. All you have to do is admit that you've sinned and fallen short of his glory, to confess with your mouth that he is Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. Invite him into your life and let him take control. He will save you and set you free. That's step number one. Then step number two is I have to know what's in this book. I have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I have to live by what it says and what he says. I live my life his way. I live faithfully. I live in obedience. We have to count the cost. Discipleship is about counting the cost. Looking at what Christ has done for me, he gave his life so that I could be free. And making a decision each and every day, will I follow Jesus even if it hurts? Will I serve him even if it costs me everything? Will I give my life for him just as he gave his life for me? We have to count the cost. Are we willing to follow Christ? But let me tell you, the troubles in this life, regardless, and again, I'm not minimizing, I know some of you are hurting. We've all been through a lot over the past six months. 
it's been difficult. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you are dealing with illnesses. Some of you are dealing, I'm not minimizing your pain, but I can tell you this, the troubles of this life, especially troubles you face because you serve Christ, will pale in comparison to the glories of heaven. They will pale in comparison. I can guarantee you, I don't know everything, but I can guarantee you one thing. The list of men that I read from Scripture, the martyrs that you read about, those who gave everything, I guarantee you that none of them, at the end of their lives, regretted serving the Lord faithfully. But I can also guarantee you that there's been plenty of people that have gotten to the end of their lives and wish they had done more for the sake of Christ. You will never regret what you do for the kingdom of God and in service of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Again, the invitation is, is twofold. Number one, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You can't have the power of faith if you haven't put your faith and trust in him. He invites you into a relationship with him. Will you accept it? Will you surrender? Just cry out where you are. Dear Lord, save me. I've, I've sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. I know I need forgiveness. Believe that he died for you, and he will come into your life and save you. If you are a follower of Christ, does your life tell the testimony of your faith? Are you willing to serve the Lord regardless of where he goes, where he leads, whatever it costs? Are you willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel? Father, we come before you and recognize that you gave everything so that we could be saved. You gave your life. Jesus, you suffered. You, the all-powerful God of the universe, suffered at the hands of men. But you weren't forced, Lord. You did it willfully. You laid down your life so that we could be saved. You suffered torture and persecution that we could never fully understand. You took on the wrath of God the Father. Punishment that we deserved so that we could be forgiven of sin. You saved us. You set us free. We have the promise of your presence and power and life, and we have the promise of the reward of heaven for all of eternity. We must be willing to count the cost. We know that. You've made it clear in your word. We must be willing to suffer if you call us to. We shouldn't depend on comfort in this life. We've got to be willing to give up everything. And sometimes that means pain and suffering. But when we get to heaven, the rewards of heaven will far outweigh the cost of serving you on earth. Lord, I pray that we would be on fire for you that we would be used by you to start a movement in this community. God, that we would devote everything that we are, everything that we have, and as individuals, as families, that we would be a light that shines in this community and beyond, and that we would see lives changed, transformed by your gospel. Lord, I believe that's what you want to do. I believe that all that's been going on through the past several months, the suffering, the, the sickness, 
I believe that you want to take that and use that for your glory and that you want us, we, your people, to be a part of your kingdom work that sees lives transformed by the gospel. I believe that Satan wants to stand against that and is attempting to stand against that, but he cannot stand against you. He is defeated. You have overcome. In this world, we will have suffering, but we can take heart because you have conquered the world. We have victory in you. I pray that we would claim that victory every day as we live in your power, not our own, in your power and in your strength for your glory. If we do that, we have nothing to be ashamed of. We will have your blessing and your protection because nothing can take away our salvation. God, thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.